Good morning, church. Um, turn to your Bibles with me, if you can, to Romans chapter 11, starting at verse 33, and we're going to read until verse 36. Stand before the Lord as we read his word, please. And the word reads, O oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he may uh, be, be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you thanking you for waking us up this morning giving us another day to fellowship with fellow believers, brothers and sisters, unified by the blood of your, your, uh, your son. Lord God, we ask right now that as you continue to, to speak to us, Lord Father, that you will continue to give us a, a heart that is open to hear your word, Lord Father, and understand your word. Lord God, as we hear the teaching that our pastor is going to give us, Lord God, I pray that you will speak through him, that you will continue to sharpen us in our personal walks, Lord God, that we may be in constant awe of who you are, for nobody can give you a gift that you need to be repaid for, Lord Father. Lord God, we thank you that you are so, so big, Lord Father God. In situations where we're going through where it seems really big, Lord God, and that it's overbearing for us, we glorify you that you are in control of all things. That, Lord God, even when we don't understand your ways, that scripture clearly tells us, Lord God, that you work, you work things out, Lord God, for those who are faithful to you. Lord God, continue to sharpen us in all the situations that you have us in, Lord. Break us down, Lord Father God, to the point that we understand and we submit to the fact that you're sovereign over all things. Lord God, we want to glorify you once again for the life that you've given us today. We ask you, Lord Father God, that you will be with those who don't have as much, Lord Father God, as we might have, Lord, and even for those who are mourning today, Lord God, for lost ones. Lord God, we ask that you will be with those, Lord Father God, who are mourning we pray, Lord Father, that if they don't know you, that this may be the situation where you make yourself known. Lord God, may you speak to them, Lord Father God, in whatever situation they're at. May you place faithful brothers and sisters in their midst, Lord Father God, to preach and proclaim your gospel to them. Lord God, in saying that, I pray that you will be with those brothers and sisters who are proclaiming your gospel and suffering for it. Lord God, we ask that you will be with the families who are enduring the good fight, Lord Father God, who are fighting the good fight, we ask that you will continue to give them endurance, give them strength. May they be comforted, Lord Father God, by other believers, whether it be around them or just from other parts of the world, Lord Father. I pray, Lord Father, that even over here, that we will keep those brothers and sisters in our hearts daily. So we just bring all this before your throne, Lord Father God, thanking you for <clears throat> who you are, who you have been, and in those things, Lord Father God, knowing what you will do. And so we would just want to glorify you, praise you, Lord Father God, for how vast your knowledge is, your wisdom. 
so beyond us, Lord Father God. So we just bow a knee before our King, Lord. Thank you. In the mighty name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. I want to continue in, uh, in prayer. Um, I just heard this morning that uh, Matt Bartos's uh, father uh, passed away. So I just want to pray for the Bartos family. Father, uh, as Nico said, we pray for those who mourn, uh, Lord, and um, we mourn with the Bartos family. Uh, Lord, we, uh, we pray for Matt, for uh, Betty, uh, and then for the rest of the family that you would uh, comfort them and strengthen them and uh, help them during this uh, trying time, uh, that your uh, glory might be seen through, uh, through Matt and Nicole and the rest of the family, um, that Jesus might be seen in them. We ask it in his name. Amen. <clears throat> I want you to reflect on something this morning. Before time, God. Before space, God. Before the universe came into being, before the angelic hosts sprang forth, before anything else in the universe or in any dimension existed, God. From eternity past, God. In the present, God. Anything that will happen in the future, God. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God. Every angelic being, even fallen spirits, every aspect of the spiritual realm came from God, through God, and is to God. Satan did not happen by accident, nor any of the events of the world. None happened by accident, for the timeless God is equally present at all moments of history, at all time. And he works even through Satan for his glory and his praise. The ten trillion times ten trillion stars that make up the universe were named by God as he called each one into existence. And when they flash out of existence, they do so by the whim of God. Swat a mosquito and you have just killed a creature that God purposed into existence before the creation of the world. Step on an ant. And you have crushed a unique being that God designed with every bit of its intricacy. How can Jews and Gentiles get along? How can they coexist as members of the body of Christ? One body. God. How can the rebellious and wicked hearts of sinners be transformed? God. Who planned the redemption of Jesus Christ to, to come into this world at just the right moment of time? God. So knowing that that is true, 
then how can you ever ask, why me? Even as 2020 comes to a close, with all of its many horrendous events that have occurred, let every Christian, every believer, every child of God cry out in the midst of the trials and tribulations, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Those closing words of Romans chapter 11, they're not here simply to mark the end of Paul's theological section in the book of Romans, as if he needs a divider between the theology and the practical. They exist to give us hope, to provide life with meaning, so that we might act with confidence no matter what the circumstance, no matter what is happening in our lives. Know this to be true, as our theme states. The incomparable glory of God creates courage to live righteously. That is why this passage is here. That is why, after talking about the theology of Christianity, that Paul now moves to talk about the practical living out of that theology, he binds it together with this one thought, God, from whom, through whom, and to whom all things exist for his glory and for his praise. Now, if you've been participating, as you should be, in the daily devotions and are up to date, then you have read this passage at least five times this week. And when you read them, these verses, did you notice the incredible nature of God? Did you pause to reflect on the wonder of what God is? If you followed those devotions, I'm certain that you did reflect on who God is, on his nature. But let me ask you, as you read these words, did you faint? Did you fall down on your face in fear and in awe? Did you weep? Did you shout? Did you dance? Or were you paralyzed as you reflected on who he is? I dare say that most of us would have to answer, no, that didn't happen to me. But it should have. There should have been some response within us as we read these words, some of the most incredible words in all of Scripture. It should have stirred the passions of our hearts if we were believers. It should have brought an emotional passion and result. Consider the opening line in verse 33. 
Oh, the depths of the riches of God. Oh, the depths. It's a challenge. A challenge from the apostle for us to meditate on, to delve into, to burrow into the depths. The depths of God's immensity. To reflect on the immensity of who God is. If an interaction with an angel angel brings great fear, what should our contemplation of God bring? What should his glory cause to happen in us as we meet him in the scriptures, as a songwriter wrote, I can only imagine what it will be like on that day when we stand fully in his presence, but shouldn't there be some of that even now as we experience him through his word? Abraham glimpsed God's glory in Genesis 15, and when he did, this is what he beheld. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And as Israel came to Sinai, they met God in Exodus 19, and it says that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled in his presence. And then King Solomon, as he brought the Ark of the Covenant, to, brought it into the temple that had been built, this glorious and awesome temple. The glory of God fell so powerfully upon that that the priests were forced out of the temple and could not minister within it causing Solomon in his prayer to declare, Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. And then Job. Having met God in the power of the storm, cried, I know that you can do all things. And that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Therefore I have uttered what I did from not understanding. Things that are too wonderful for me, which I did not know. I had heard of you, the hearing of my ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. I ask you, when you meet God, are any of those your reactions? As you contemplate the wonder of what these verses say about God and His character and nature, are you overwhelmed as these individuals were? Who can measure the depths of God's love? 
or the extent of His mercy, or the abundance of His grace, or the horror of His wrath. When theologians describe the vastness of God, they speak of His immensity. And even that word seems so trite, considering what Paul has called us to meditate upon. Oh, the depths. Immensity of God. But let us also notice God's infinity. To infinity and beyond. Buzz Lightyear cries that out in Toy Story. But what is beyond infinity? God. God. God is infinite. He is immeasurable. He is beyond thought, beyond imagination. God is from infinity and beyond God is eternal, no beginning, no ending. When nothing existed, when not energy, not light, not angels or demons or stars or dust or time itself. God! Psalmist put it so succinctly in Psalm 90. He said, before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Infinity. That's that's an attribute of God that no other being has. But what we as finite creatures, having our limitations did not have, will one day change. We have a beginning, but we will have no end. Death becomes a door into the eternal, into the infinite, timeless existence. Into infinity and beyond belongs on the lips of every dying Christian, as we throw off the mortal and put on immortality. Oh, the depths of God. But let's take notice as well of God's inexhaustibility. When I traveled to Turkey a number of years ago, I had a pocket full of one million lira bills. And I felt rich. A millionaire, finally! Oh, yes! Until they explained that that million lira bill was the equivalent of one of the new lira. How deflating is that? Going from a million dollar bill to a one dollar bill. Suddenly I was not quite so rich. However, there are people in this world who do have millions of dollars and even billions of dollars. Yet, 
As the book of Ecclesiastes reminds them and us, not one cent of that passes beyond the grave. The United States acts as if our resources are inexhaustible. But all that the U.S. government has today, all that it owns, is absolutely worthless. We are $27 trillion in the hole. And that's what we call known debt. There is much more debt on top of that. If you sold off every property, every business, and every supply that our government owns today, it would not pay the national debt. But not so with God. God's riches are inexhaustible. Every Christian is immensely wealthy as an heir of God. Paul wrote in Ephesians 2. He said, So that in the coming age he, that is God, might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Every believer, from the moment that they cross into eternity, instantaneously inherits all that God has for all times. We don't ever have to fear going broke. We don't ever have to, have to worry about having any of our needs met. Even though we live eternally. Because God is all sufficient. God's riches are inexhaustible. All that God owns. We can all tap into, and never use up. And that, my friends, is the incredible nature of God. His immensity, his infinity, his inexhaustibility. Contemplate that. And then ask yourself, why do we live as though this world matters? so much? Why do we compromise our faith in order to survive on this planet? Why do we fall into racism as the Gentiles and the Jews did in the first century and people do in this century? Jew against Gentile, Gentile against Jew, white against black, black against white. Nothing changes as far as sin goes in this world in which we live. But Christians, we are to rise above all of that. Why? Because of God. Because God is ours and we are his. And why do we desire the riches of this world that isn't worth the paper that it's printed on when it comes to eternity? These trinkets of this age that the rest of the world 
invests all of their time and energy in trying to gain this Christmas. What are you getting? James says that those who have wealth who are Christians should act as if they have none, and those who have none should rejoice in the fact that they are heirs of God. God. The incredible nature of this God changes how we view the world and how we think and how we act. And that is why I said that this message is about the incomparable glory of God that creates in us an ability to live righteously for his kingdom's sake. Oh, the depths of the riches of God. Nor does the glory of God end there But we also need to notice from this passage the inscrutable nature of God. You know, you and I, we are but a blip on a radar screen of eternity. We're a shooting star that passes through and flashes for a moment and is gone. How then can you or I possibly think that we can comprehend the eternal purposes of God. Verse 33 chastises our feeble minds as we attempt to do so when it says, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. This immense, infinite, inexhaustible God put together a perfect plan from before eternity and is carrying out that plan And you think, and I think, that as specks in the midst of all that he is doing and has been doing in this speck of time that we call our life, that we can figure out that plan? Even the plan for our own life? Then you ask, why me? When it comes to your life. Why me? There's a tiny thread in the midst of a vast tapestry. Ask why its creator pushes it through with a needle and then clips it off. Cutting it with scissors and abruptly ending it. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom, and knowledge of God. My friends, you and I, we need to notice God's immutability. I can't think of one day in my life that what I had planned in the morning worked out perfectly the rest of the day. Just the way I planned it. (laughs) No one has such control over their lives that they can plan, and what they plan comes to be just as they planned it. If 2020 has taught us anything, 
this year. It is, we have no control over life. This is what James exhorts all believers to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or we will do that. And yet God has never changed his plans. Not once from eternity past until the present, and he will not change his plans going on into eternity future. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. No wonder Paul exclaims then in verse 33, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Before Adam sinned, God already had the Redeemer ready to go. Before the rain came, God had already instructed Noah to build an ark 120 years earlier. Before Cyrus became king 200 years earlier, God told how he would release the Jews to go back to Jerusalem. Before Israel was a nation, God gave directions to Moses on how the king should be selected and should rule. And long before Judas betrayed the Lord Jesus, God placed in the pen of the psalmist just how it was going to happen, a complete description of his betrayal. God is immutable. He never changes. Nothing catches him by surprise. Not my getting COVID this past spring. Not the finding of cancer or any other type of infirmity. No birth or death. No loss of a job or the gaining of new employment. Not war or earthquake or snowstorm takes God by surprise or causes him to have to change anything, for from him and through him and to him are all things. And speaking of snowstorms, there is a sheet out on the foyer for you to sign up when that 10-inch snowstorm comes this Wednesday, <laughs> if it comes. But also, would you please, as you look at this passage, notice God's incomprehensibleness. That's just to see if you know how to spell. Matt Chandler said of, of this passage that attempting to discover what God is doing from our perspective in terms of all of history is like seeing a millisecond of a five-hour movie and trying to determine what the plot, the message of that film is going to be. No wonder Paul wrote, quoting from Isaiah in verse 34, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who in Israel 
prior to the coming of Jesus Christ, who would have foreseen that God would become flesh in a baby in the city of Bethlehem? Would any Jew have thought that the Mosaic law would ever become obsolete, as the writer of Hebrews says that it has become? What teacher of the law would have ever dared to say what Paul says? That in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile. God's ways are so far above our thoughts as heaven is above the earth, the scripture says. And if that is true of God's plan for salvation, My friend, it is also true of God's plan for your life and for mine, for this church and for the church of Jesus Christ around the world. You cannot comprehend the mind of God for you tomorrow, much less next week or next year. So why do we spend so much of our time and energy worrying God has it. He is in control. Oh, that we might find ourselves immersed in the glory and majesty of this God whose ways are incomprehensible, but who has revealed himself to us so that we might know and therefore trust him. You cannot comprehend the mind of God, but God has already comprehended you. And that's all we need to know. And as you do so, notice God's independence. God existed eternally without you. Did you know that? God did not need you in order to exist. I hate to say it, but there are times when we think that God does need us. But God existed eternally before there was anything in this universe. And if he chose to, he could live eternally without anything else in the universe. God is independent of all things. So quit thinking and acting as if what you do puts God in debt to you in some way. The Pharisees thought that what they did put God in their debt, and Jesus corrected that when he stated God can raise up from these stones, children of Abraham. He doesn't need you. Ouch. (laughs) That puts us in our place, doesn't it? It makes us rethink who we are. Nothing like a gut punch to put them in their place, but what about our gut punch? 
that comes in verse 35. Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? As Paul walked through the streets of Athens, he saw magnificent temples, thriving businesses, and he watched people put extravagant gifts in those temples so that the gods might favor them. In Acts 17, he brings it all into perspective for the Athenians and for us who think that God somehow owes us because we have done something for him. And this is what he says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God existed for all of eternity without you. Do you really think that you can say or do anything that will make him like you or hate you one tiny bit different. No. You cannot, I cannot. The inscrutable nature of God, Paul says. And if you consider that, you will see that unless God chooses to look upon you with favor, you are not even a speck of dust before him. God is immutable, he is incomprehensible, and he is utterly independent of anything or anyone. And that should humble you. Which brings us to the indispensable nature of God. American politics, uh, politicians, educators, judges, uh, they have all claimed that the United States Constitution provides for freedom from religion, is the way they put it now. But God cares nothing about what they say. How can anybody say to the God who created all things, we don't need you anymore? I fear we're getting a small taste of what happens when you tell God that, though. You get pandemics. You get natural disasters that are century natural disasters that happen every year anymore. You see soaring crime rates that are the cost of telling God we don't need you and we don't need your righteousness. And in the end, we will pay the ultimate price as a nation if we do not repent and we do not remember God. But we also do that individually, even corporately as a church. If we do not see the need for God, then we will suffer the consequences. You know, I'm studying 
uh, for my doctorate. And they force us to read a ton of books. If you do not like to read, don't ever go for a master's or a doctorate. Don't. Save yourself the suffering and the pain. But you know what? In a lot of those books that I'm reading about pastoring and preaching, in a lot of those books, they say you do not need God to build a church. And they're right. Look at how many Muslims there are in the world. And how many Buddhists. Look at how many churches in America, some of the largest ones, have preachers that do not preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. You do not need God to build the church, to fill the church, I should say, I guess, to be more correct. People cast God out, but one day they'll stand before that very God that they have cast out and give account for how they live. Verse 36 tells us, for from him and through him and to him are all things to God. Be glory forever. Amen. Throughout Romans, we've reminded you over and over again, God is God, and you are not. God is indispensable to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. In spite of the rulings of the Supreme Court or any political body, God is indispensable. So take notice then of God's initiative. All things are from him. You know, I laugh at evolutionists. I probably shouldn't because it's a serious matter. But I laugh. God created. Evolution did not. Let me say that again. God created. Nothing came into existence apart from his direct action. When I preached through Genesis, I made allowances for those who believe in theistic evolution. That is, that God used evolution as the means for bringing the world and all that's in it into existence, using time and the process of evolution. I do not make creationism a matter of salvation or spirituality. But I must admit that I have a very hard time not wanting to walk up to theistic evolutionists and grab them by the scruff of the neck and shake them and say, are you that foolish? How 
can you believe in this so-called garbage of science that we have today that anything can develop over time with intricate designs of even one cell in a body, much less a multi-organ creature like a human being. I have read over the years hundreds of articles and journals, scientific journals, on this world and how it came into existence. And not once, let me say that again, not once has any one of them ever given any explanation for how a creature can reproduce without a reproductive system already in place. A reproductive system that accordingly would have had to take thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of years in order for it to develop. How can reproduction take place without a reproductive system? And that's true of every system in our bodies. Could God have worked that way? Sure, God can do whatever God wants to do. And yet, if that is how he chose to create, I find it much easier to believe Genesis 1. And with John in Revelation chapter 4, I cry out, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. By your will. They existed. By your will, they are created. Every speck and every microorganism in this universe, every insect, reptile, mammal, bird, fish, they all exist because God created them. And God created you. Every one of you. So why don't we live for him? He created us. Why don't we live for him? Stop living for ourselves. Let's stop living for our jobs. Let's stop living for our houses or our apartments. Start living for the glory of God. And yet even as we talk about God's initiative, all things from him, notice God's intimacy. God did not create things to flounder on their own and follow some fictitious laws of nature. Everything is held together and exists by the supreme will and favor of an eternal God. All things are from Him and through Him. The Jews did not become a nation because they were special. They became special because God made them a nation. God took a man who was an idol worshiper out of Ur the Chaldees to create that nation. And they continue to exist as a people because of God's purpose. And what is true of the Jews under the Old Testament is true of every human being. 
especially those of us who have come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. Ephesians 1 states, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. He chose us. We did not choose Him. He chose us for a purpose that we might be holy and blameless before Him. And that's why Paul will flow out of chapter 1 to 11 into chapter 12 and say, Therefore, live this way. God is why. God intended to make you into what He calls you, His heir. He wants you and me to live for Him and for His glory. He adopted you into His family. He gave you His Holy Spirit. He provided you with everything that you need to be able to accomplish His design for you. He loved you with an everlasting love, and He calls on you to reciprocate that love. To live for His glory. To love Him. And ultimately notice that you are God's inheritance. We have emphasized from Romans 8 that you are an heir of God. That God has given you and me an inheritance. We are fellow heirs with Christ who purchased that inheritance for us. And that's a glorious thought, but it's only half of the truth. We have an inheritance in God, but we are God's inheritance. We are the Cinderella who inherits a palace. Not because the prince fell in love with us and couldn't help himself. No, we are Cinderella's who inherit a palace because the king of kings and lord of lords decided to pour out his blessings on a worthless scum. We see this truth concerning why God gave Jesus Christ to save us in Colossians chapter 1. For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And that is why God, did what he did. Oh, the glory and the wonder of God's perfect plan. How inscrutable his ways to make you and me an inheritance for his son. Think on that. Would you, this Christmas, give to your son, your daughter, your mother, your father, your aunt, your uncle, all the other people that you're going to buy gifts, would you go out to a trash can, root through the garbage, and find something that you can wrap up and give to them? Don't answer that question, some of you. <laughs> That's a great idea, Pastor. <laughs> There's got to be some good stuff out there. Of course not. Then why do we wrap ourselves up? trying to make ourselves look good while sin rots at the core of our being. We're his inheritance. We're the gift that the Father is giving to his Son. Let's live that way. 
for His glory, for His praise. The incomparable glory of God creates courage in us to be able to live righteously when we contemplate God. And so in conclusion, how big is your God? Is he the immense God described in this passage? Is he the infinite one? The incomprehensible God? The inscrutable God? And yet, on the other hand, how personal is your God? I'm not talking about... I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We abuse and use that term so terribly in our culture, our Christian culture. I'm not talking about a personal relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. I am talking about is Jesus Christ personal in you? Is he transforming you? Is he molding you? Is he at work in you to make you righteous and blameless in his sight? How doctrinal is your God? When you read these words from Paul, the conclusion of 11 chapters of fantastic doctrine, truth, did you just read it through? Or did it become part of you? Has it seeped into your being? Is it molding the way that you think and the way that you act? Has it become all that you are, changing everything about you? If not, then go back to Romans 1 and start over again. You cannot know God apart from knowing God, from knowing the truth about him, his character, his nature, the theology, the doctrine of God. And only when that becomes so real to you will you be able to move into Romans chapter 12. Let's pray. Our Father God, forgive us for thinking that somehow we are worthy of anything that you have ever done or ever could do or that we are even worth your time. And yet we are. We are. Because we are your inheritance for your son. Change our hearts. Change our minds. Whip us into an understanding so that we truly grasp what caused the people of Israel to tremble and Isaiah to cry out, woe is me, and John to faint in your presence. And then we will live for your glory. From you, through you, and to you are all things. Therefore,
God receives glory and honor and praise. Amen.